This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. Hello, welcome to episode 108 of Yeah, it's uh, 108. And this this episode, I'm talking to Brian Byrne, the composer of a musical I was in back in June called Angel of Broadway, which was a big uh, challenge for me to do. And I was uh, playing uh, Twink's husband in that musical, was in the National Concert Hall, backed by the RTE Symphony Orchestra. It was incredible experience, nerve-wracking and incredible. Um, Brian has uh, been working as a composer for many years. And he's a brilliant, very uh, incredibly, ridiculously talented fella. And a nice bloke to boot. So... Uh, um, at the this weekend, uh, I'm in the mi- middle uh, of doing the Laughter Lounge weekend, and uh, last night was absolutely wonderful. And uh, next week, oh, I'm going down to Listowel St John's Theatre, beautiful theatre, in an old uh, former church in the middle of the square in Listowel. So that'll be lovely next Friday. Friday the well what would that be called that date just in case you're from Listowel and you're interested in coming down it's the 27th of September and then um, the day after I'll be in the Dunamays in Port Leash another lovely theatre uh, that's the 28th of September but the and then the weekend after that and I'm doing a special gig on the 5th of October in the Lime Killing in Julianstown with a very special guest. And if you're listening to this podcast, I'll let you in on a secret. A very special guest who was a character, one of the main characters in Father Ted. And uh, I have to keep this under the radar because he'll be doing some bigger gigs later on but uh, yes I'll be doing a gig with him Um, he's one of the main characters of Father Ted and he's still alive so uh, that's a clue Um, yes uh, that's it 
um that's that's my life coming up uh gig wise i suppose I'm, oh yes i'll be doing the mullingar theater on the 11th of october and the riverbank in newbridge on the 12th of october uh i got my first tattoo ever in my whole life uh just two days ago on my leg on my calf my right calf i got a little a part of um Picasso's painting Guernica or Guernica. Uh, I put got that on the back of my leg or the back of my calf there. Well, on my calf, and uh, it's the. If you're familiar with the painting, it's the Guernica is a town that was Basque in the Basque region of Spain that was bombed by the fascists. Uh, I can't tell you what year it was, but. Uh, uh, and then uh, Pablo Picasso did this big painting of Guernica, and it's like the bombing. And there's a, uh, it's a, it's a big, massive painting. I've seen it actually. I went to see it in Madrid. Uh, and uh, anyway, at the top of it, there's a light bulb with kind of flashing, uh, just above a horse's head, and the horse's head is like, like it's in agony or whatever. Anyway, I got that light bulb tattooed on the back of my, on my leg, and. Uh, you might ask, why? Why Guernica? Well, it's because I was in a band. One reason is because I was in a band called Guernica back in the 80s, I believe. And um, so that's one reason to get it. I've always liked uh, the idea of putting a bit of a painting, a work of art on a tattoo. And uh, I like that one. And And... Number two, what reason? That, that because it's an anti-fascist uh, piece of art, that's another reason to stick it on the back there. So I might, I might go for another one, but it was actually sore than I thought it was going to be. I mean, I thought ah, it'll be sore, but it's and because I've seen people lying down getting tattooed and they look comfortable enough. Now I didn't scream or anything, but it was bloody sore enough getting it done. So, uh, will I get another? Maybe I will, just on the back of my other leg, just to balance out and just take another detail, maybe from the same painting. And then that'll be it. I don't think, I can't imagine I'm going to get a tattoo on my upper torso. I can only imagine that's even more painful. Uh, so maybe I'm just a bit of a wuss. But uh, it's my body and I'll do what I want with it. Let me tell you that. Okay, well, um, uh, here we are. Enjoy uh, this wonderful conversation that we had uh, in the Royal Bar in Navan. Beautiful pub, and we had a great chat. And Brian Burns uh, from Navan, and there's so much talent from Navan. But Jimmy Smith, the guitarist, uh, and uh, obviously Tommy Tiernan and Dylan Moran and so yes enjoy Brian Byrne So you were in uh, Kerry. You were saying for the week. For the week was it? Yeah. No. For well, we we planned on going for four or five days. We we being Casey, my better half, and the two kids. Roxy's yeah. five, and and 
Aces 10, and we, we've we been working hard for the last two months. So we decided to go down the country. We yeah. did the Barrow Peninsula, and, and thinking the kids would love this. Yeah. So beautiful mountains, the Skelligs, all that kind of stuff. And a day and a half in, the kids were screaming to, <laughs> they want to go home to, to Nanny. But the, Yeah, they didn't appreciate the Skelligs. No. Yeah, that's really good. Um, so you've been working really hard on the on the Angel of Broadway. Is that what you're talking about? The uh, Angel of Broadway and uh, and other projects. Uh, oh yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it's so we we just moved to Oklahoma. We were in Los Angeles for 16 years, Casey oh, and I, okay. and we we bought this place in Oklahoma. But it's really hot in the summer, so I'm trying to plan all my gigs ar- around the weather. Yeah. So we come home to Ireland, and I pack in as much as I can. And so we had Angel of Broadway, which you know, because you were in it. You, yeah. were, you had a starring role. Uh, Thanks for uh, along with Twink. You, uh, absolutely it's twinks you, you survived and you did great um <laughs> and then i had another couple of things so it's been yeah pretty crazy but then we got down the country and, and yeah. saw a bit of ireland so it was good yeah cool and so have you been um when you were young did you start lear- were you learning an instrument like from what age like well uh, so we're we're in the royal maid pub in navin yes as you can hear there's it's as busy as it ever was <laughs> <laughs> you can hear the fridge noise. No, this is Peter let us in. But this is on Watergate Street in Navin, and I grew up. Yeah. There's a barber shop across the road from here. Yeah, and I grew up. Uh, and there's a piano upstairs, yeah. uh, where and that was the hub of a lot of music in Navin. Like the the Navin Musical Society people would come and rehearse. And my father was a musician as well as being a barber, but didn't really want to be a barber. He wanted to be a musician, but yeah. his father told him get a real job. You, you know, get just so he he tended to the the shop there. It was left to him. But his real passion was music. And, he and was, what did your father play? He was a piano player, and yeah. he was kind of a musical director for shows and pantos and funerals and anything that that hadn't that people wanted uh, music for. They'd say, "I'll oh, just ask Jim Byrne," you know, yeah. and they'd go into him. We were kids sweeping the floor in the shop, sweeping the hair up, and yeah. we had the world's organ upstairs and the piano. And so he'd say, "Here's here's C chord. Go go learn to play." And he'd show me the notes of C chord, and then he'd be downstairs cutting the hair, and, and I'd be going. Do, 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 you know, playing the notes yeah. and then G chord, and he'd hear a mistake and he'd run up the stairs and go, no, no, change this note and then do that. And I'd, I'd play it just for the love of it. And he'd yeah. be downstairs cutting, you know, footballers' hairs and judges yeah. and lawyers and accountants and, and whoever would come in through the shop. Yeah. And then I was, you know, so and he'd come up and he'd get the musical education that way. So he thought oh, me, wow. he gave me a, a great start. And then he, he always swore if he had kids that were musical, he'd get them lessons he'd send them to so he sent us to the royal irish academy in dublin when we were kids you know formal training and and so we had that kind of um you know learned to play classical music but then i used to play in his wedding band as i was 12 years old really yeah i mean he'd put us out and he'd you know any chance he could get us to perform he'd get up there and play a tune people come to the house and you know he'd line up the brothers you play you play you play and and Mm. it was always a you know we didn't know at the time. We thought, "Oh, jeez, here we go again." We got to, f- yeah, you know. But what he was doing was, if he saw that we had a little bit of musical talent, so he was prepping us to play in public and, and get rid of the nerves. And, and we yeah. didn't know that. But and of course, the the American relations would come home and they think that's great. Look at the little performing barns in the house, you know. <laughs> so so we, it was always around. My brother plays with the symphony. My other brother Paul cuts hair over here now, but he plays in wedding bands across the country and. My other brother, John, plays in Nathan Carter and arranges music. And oh, really? Yeah. So there's there's a family of music yeah. there. And would you have known uh, the Smiths, like Jimmy Smith? Oh, the, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're, Smiths are an old Adam family and the Burns are an old Adam family. In fact, yeah. my father used to play in, uh, with one of the Smiths. I can't remember. Uh, 
But I mean, Jimmy's father was a show band guy. Yeah. And my dad was a show band guy. So they all crossed paths. They'd, they'd form bands and then they'd have rows and they'd break up and they'd form a new band. And then there'd be other Burns and other Smiths. And, you know, so we go back years and years. And actually, my best mate here from Navin is Declan Smith. He's a cousin of Jimmy. And, you know, oh, yeah. So, yeah. And, and Jimmy, I mean, Jimmy's an incredible musician. I, I use him for everything. He was on it, played on Angel of Broadway. And, and yeah, he plays with the RC Symphony Orchestra. He, um, he, you know, the, he's a wonderful session musician. So they, he, can, he can do that stuff, but he can also let the hair down and just play like Rory Gallagher or play like, you know, just Gary Moore. He has all those kind of chops. He's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, I, I became aware of him when he was in the Bogey Boys. Uh, but then I found out he was Gloria's brother Gloria right. who sang I mean, one they, day at a time it's like the, the, mm. I don't know they're, they're like a mold or a bacteria or something the Smiths they're just <laughs> they're all across Ireland and they've, they're all great and they all have you know I mean Gloria and, and Patrice then the other sister was a country singer and, oh yeah uh, so yeah and Tony uh, Jimmy's brother is you know amazing drummer and so the, the, there's loads of them they're, incredible yeah. what is it about Navin though because you got you two families and then Tommy Tear and Dylan Moore and Hector as well. Hector, yeah. Yeah. And they all, Incredible. we all went to the same school and we all yeah. had the same English teacher, Richie Ball. Maybe, yeah. maybe he polluted us with Shakespeare or something like that. Or, or yeah. There was always a bit of uh, wildness about him, you know, just give it a go, give, you know, think outside the box. And, yeah. And maybe, maybe that was it. St. Pat's classical school were all those guys you mentioned, Willie Byrne, who was in the show with you. Right, the singer, yeah. He was, he, uh, was friends with Tommy and, and, and Hector and they all had the same teacher as well. So I, yeah. I, I don't know, maybe it was just because there was nothing in in terms of you know that like really musical culture in navin was you had your wedding bands or you had kind of rock but there was no real trad music or there was not you know yeah. jazz or you know i mean how, why would there be jazz in, in navin you know what i mean yeah. so, or, or, and traditional it was kind of frowned upon i think in the 70s and 80s it wasn't cool there was maybe one pub that had you know um so there wasn't really a culture of, of new music or or appreciating old music it was just kind of mm whatever was the, the zeitgeist in the charts at the time, yeah. or, you know. Um, and then you had people like Jimmy Smith and, and Pat Coldrick and these musicians from Navin that kind of made their way. And, and mm. I, so I think there's probably a bit of escapism, you know. Mm. Like, how do you, how do you beat the boredom of no culture? It's, you, you know. That's like kind of interesting because... Boredom tends to create something, you know yeah. what I mean? Because you, you've no distraction. There was no iPods. There was no, t- you know, you weren't watching that much TV. Uh, yeah. Maybe. But that's kind of interesting because a lot of bands uh, have come from small towns in, in the UK or in America. Detroit, maybe, where it was. And um, now you wonder, with the internet and all that, would, would, you know, is that is that going to destroy that kind of thing where you're just bored? You're so bored, you might you might just create something yourself. I, I think so. I mean, the, mm. like, the appreciation for music now, I mean, it's it's so easy to get anything. Hold on a second. I see you're drinking a little. Hey, we're drinking our on. Guinness here, so. It's a, it's a half pint. Uh, yeah, uh, you're right to... Uh, yeah, just pause there for a little... Oh, my God, it's really it's good, nice. Right? Yeah, it's really nice. Guinness. Hold on a second. Let me just make sure you're... I'm just sipping again. Just, just to make say, sure. this Guinness mm. is in the Royal Yeah, drinking Guinness on a podcast Navin. doesn't translate that well, but it's delicious. It does if Guinness would sponsor me. For, well... Know, if you're listening, Guinness. Yeah. <laughs> Peter can make that happen here. Yeah. But uh, oh yeah, so you were saying that yeah, maybe maybe the distraction of the internet might might be a bad thing for that kind of yeah. I think we need boredom. I yeah. think I think it's so easy now. You can I mean you'll check your phone every ten minutes. You'll check Facebook. Mm. You'll check email. You you know mm. we're just so possessed by these phones that when yeah. you 
I always find when you, like in America, if we go on a road trip and we just turn off the phones or listen to a podcast or something or, or just silence for two hours and the wheels start to turn and you start yeah. working out the problems and the kinks and, you, and I get inspired, on, like on road trips or when there's quiet. And it's very hard to get that now when, mm. you know, all this. So maybe, yeah, maybe I'm trying to wean myself off it. And I was, I was listening to an interview with Jack White uh, where he, said he doesn't own a mobile phone. Wow. He doesn't own one. How's his gigs going? Is he getting any gigs? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he has an agent that yeah, yeah. owns the phone. But he's a very retro character anyway. I mean, he is retro, he's yeah. He's got that uh, big vinyl set up in his own studio and he's got the old... Uh, That's right, and yeah, he records cool, yeah. on... on um, tape to tape, tape, is it? I think, yeah. 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 Or on stone. Yeah, 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 yeah. He chisels it into yeah. stone. Um, so then when you, when you left school, did you, where did you go to college? Well, so my brother Colm was a classical trumpet player. Yeah. So I was 15, 16 years old, and I idolized him. He was an older brother, smaller than me, but older. Uh, and he was in Scotland studying classical trumpet in Glasgow. And uh, I was, you know, doing my leaving cert here, and, or just before, and, you know, you got the career counselor going, well, so what are you going to do? What, what are you going to do with your life? And said, well, it's, mm. it's music, because there's nothing else that I know how to do. And I was going through all the courses in Ireland thinking, this just doesn't sound fun. I'll just go where my brother is. And I went and auditioned. I was 16 years old. went and auditioned. I had to play Ravel and Debussy and, and all that kind of stuff. And I got in when I was 16, but I had to wait to get my leave insert results and all that. Mm. So I, I went to Glasgow because he was there mm. and then he, he left and then I stayed there for another four years and I had the time of my life in Glasgow. I mean, I learned more about Irish traditional music. I mean, it was a classical course. I was studying classical piano, mm-hmm. but I had to go to Glasgow to appreciate Irish music and, and I found jazz there. I found you know, uh, one of my favorite piano players in the world, his name is Brian Kellogg. He's a Scottish piano player. Mm. And, I mean, I'd never heard jazz, really. You know, I, uh, and I just heard this music and it was improvised. And it was like, what? You know, I always improvised. I always played by ear. Yeah. You know, better. I was better at playing by ear than reading. All right. I had to, so going to college, I had two things. One, I got my eyes open to authentic music, to jazz, to to traditional. But then I also had professors saying, okay, you can do all these things with your ear, but now you have to, match your reading you you know that's reading music is a skill it's not talent so a monkey can read music but you have to become a monkey now for a while and just learn how to read and how how to translate what's on the page into your fingers because the other stuff you can do easy enough so so i i I took that on on board and i had four years in in glasgow and then i i finished my course there uh and i saw a poster on the wall saying the uh, master's course in film scoring in london uh, it was literally, I was checking my cubbyhole to ch- clean that stuff and think, what, what am I going to do? You know, mm. and I just saw this little A4 advertisement, uh, new masters in, in film scoring in London. I thought, that's it. Maybe I'll try that. Mm. It was either that or go to Berkeley College and be a jazz piano player. And th- I had a scholarship offered for that, but I couldn't afford to do it. You know, a scholarship there is they'll, they'll pay your, a little bit of your fees, but you pay 20 grand a year on top of that. I just didn't have that. So, yeah. I went and went to London, auditioned for this thing, and they gave me a full scholarship to the Royal College of Music in London. Wow. And I studied film music with Joseph Horowitz, who's a, it's a great name, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it just even if he's crap, his name, <laughs> he's got the best composer name. So yeah. I studied with him, and he just said, look, I can't really teach you much about harmony, but I can teach you about form. And just go down to the library, study Stravinsky, study Mahler, study mm. Strauss, get the scores, put on headphones. So I did that for a year. It's like a nerd just down in the bottom of the library in the Royal College of Music, loving it because it was just mind blowing, you know, that I could see it on the page and I could hear it. 
you'd have to physically go look for the record. There's no, there was no iPads or yeah. where you just type in to a search. You'd have to. So there was a whole thing. There was the smell of the library and there was the coffee and there was, you know, just, just getting your mind open. And you're very receptive at that age to all things. You know what I mean? Like you're 20, 21, 22. Yeah. And, and that they're formative years, I think, for, you know, for yeah, listening to music. Yeah. And, uh, your brain is, is Yeah. So, so I did that. Soft. I had this. Yeah. My brain is still soft. But <laughs> had that training and all the time I was playing jazz on the side and, and you know, just listen to this high-end classical music and then meeting all these jazzes in London and loving And then I, course finished, had to come home to Ireland because, you know, money runs out. Yeah. And the first gig I got was with Linda Martin. Oh, really? <laughs> I mean, I had no money. Wow. I had to, so I went from all that training, all that, you know, hi-fi stuff. Yeah. Uh, and I came back to Ireland and, and I got offered a gig playing accordion and keyboards and wearing a, a, a waistcoat with sort of, Oh. slinky diamond looking yeah. things on the other end so I did that Show lasted this. about two and a half weeks in that and then I got upgraded to Dickie Rock Dickie paid me a ten or more and I played with him and then I think I did Red Hurley and then I quit that was, mm. I was that's it I didn't go away for five years to go back and do this so I just stopped and I was skinned for two months mm. uh, and I did one session in the National Concert Hall with orchestra it was an arrangement for a guy that was doing a new musical actually mm. uh, and he got an orchestrator right so I out of that one three-hour session, I got work for five years in Ireland. Got to work Bono, got to work with Lisa Stansfield, all these people that were kind of big names, you know. Yeah. And I was just unknown kind of kid. Uh, doing what sort of arranging? Arranging. So, yeah, so, so Bono and the Corps, were, were, they, would, they were doing a song called Summer Wine for a VH1 thing. And right. They had an arranger, Fika Trench, who's a wonderful arranger. I know Fika Trench. He's been on this podcast. I love Fika. Yeah, yeah. But he was... They, they said to him, would you arrange this thing and we need it for nine o'clock in the morning? And he was like, no, I'm done. I'm, you know, he'd already done his 12 and he wasn't going to do an all-nighter. And uh, so, so that he asked me, would I do it? And I was jumped up and uh, stayed up all night, did the chart. And so those opportunities, when they came, you just grab them. You never say how much. You just say, yep, I'll do it. And yeah. did those kind of things, you know, arranging for so that was summer, summer one. That, that's a, the San, Nancy's Natural. Nancy's Natural. They did a cover. Lee Hazelwood. Nancy Lee Hazelwood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and they did a cover of it, and I got to hang out with Bono, and then, yeah. then I would score for his mate Gavin Friday for Jim Sheridan's movies. I, I'd orchestrate, but I couldn't compose because they had the gig. Right. And John Carney, I orchestrated for him, but he would write his own music, and you mm. know. So I was now the orchestrator for these films, but there was no end to to actually compose the music. Yeah. So uh, I, I was here for four years, built up a res- pretty good resume with those guys, but then I had an opportunity to go to Los Angeles. I said, F it, I'll just go, and I'm going to mm. be a composer in Los Angeles. And as soon as I moved there, it all opened up in Ireland for me, which was strange. I just got on a plane. I was no better, no worse, but I think the perception of somebody going away. You're in L.A. You're in so the hill. This guy's in good. Los Angeles. He must be great. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I was, you know, I was 20 four or five or something at the time so I gave myself the five year yeah. pincer movement plan if it, you know give it five years if it works yeah. if not I'll come home and I'll be happy and yeah. I've been out there 16 years now so brilliant and were you composing uh, from a young age we're like um, let you have your Guinness there but were you composing when you were in Glasgow or I was always composing but I didn't know what I was doing so I would mm. sit at the piano here in the shop in Watergate Street enjoy your Guinness there Joe I'll talk uh yeah, so I'd sit at the piano, and I'd just play for hours. I'd play anything. 
mm-hmm. and then I'd, I'd have my music lesson in Dublin on a Monday and I'd have to cram the day before I'd have to cram Mozart or Beethoven because I'd know I'd get the knuckles wrapped the next day for not knowing that stuff but yeah. but it was just it was just joy I'd sit at the piano and I'd improvise I'd play the few chords my dad showed me then I'd play those and then I'd play a little melody on the top so it was always coming up with stuff but not mm. knowing that I guess that's composing it's instant composition when you're improvising the only difference between improvising and composition is time improvising you're doing it at a very very rapid rate mm-hmm. composing if you're writing it down you're just taking more time to you're still coming up with the concept and the idea is just a slower process mm. um can i ask you do you think yeah. you, you'll come up with something more more inspired if you're improvising than if you're taking your time uh, a lot of the time yes and mm. a lot of the time it has to do with coffee and deadlines. So Albert did yeah. a movie called Albert Knobs, uh, which was Glen Close, and it's based in Dublin in the you know the late nineteenth, uh, early twentieth century, like eighteen um, nineties, whatever that is in century terms, nineteen uh, hundreds, yeah. And I and it was set in Dublin, Georgian houses. Uh, this they sent me the script, and I read through the script, and I instantly sat down to the piano and I pressed record, and I improvise something mm. because there was a gut feeling from after reading the, the script and, and t- them telling me about what it is I improvised what was the complete opening a four minute opening for Albert Knobs movie and that was an improvisation that was mm. gut feeling and then from that you'll take seeds and you'll then expand and, and take your time to write it out but I find everything that I anything that I write that's of any consequence is usually quick it's usually press record mm. what comes out is usually the best stuff. Now, it was a Johnny Mercer that said the genius is not in the writing, it's in the rewriting. Johnny Mercer wrote, you know, start the lyricist for Stardust and all those old Sinatra songs. Oh, right, yeah. Uh, you know, the genius is in the rewriting, mm, not the mm. writing, because it's, you know, you come up with the idea, everyone can come up with that kind of, not everyone, but you can come up with that seed, but then the craft, the, t- the 10,000 hours of your craft is then editing yourself. Yeah. Rewriting is forming, you know, so that's that's a big part of songwriting that I think kids could take from is you know yes you can improvise this stuff I think that's the, that's the idea that's the the germ the, germ, the, yeah. the architecture but then you go and you fine tune it sculpt it and then that's where the good stuff happens you know yeah and that's where all that yeah years and hours of study and and so when you're uh, listening to all these composers then um, do you find there's little influences coming in if you're you know obviously there must be I suppose oh yeah you don't want to be too influenced but well I think we're all influenced I mean there's only yeah. so many notes and there's only so many you know bits and notes flying around I mean I as a kid I'd listen mm. to John Williams I'd watch E.T. Mm. who didn't love the score to E.T. or Superman and I'd be listening to you know we had it on VHS so with my, my younger brother Jim I used to fly him around watching Superman. He thought he was Superman. I, but I was listening to the music. We'd watch it ten times, mm. sometimes twice a day. Uh, and you'd hear the melody the first time. You'd hear that you know the trumpet's going. Dun, 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 dun. So that's level one. That's what everyone hears. Mm. And then when I got bored of that, you then go down a deeper level and you say, okay, well now what are the strings doing? And the mm. strings are doing these scales up and down, and and then the flutes are coming. And I would hear this as a kid. You know, I was wow. listening to this, and then you go another level. What are the double basses? Well, they've got pizzicatos and they've got, you know. So, so all of a sudden you're you're six layers deep in orchestration but you don't know what orchestration is you know yeah. so so when you're listening to that as a kid it's ingrained in your soul forever mm. so when I orchestrate when I arrange for people sometimes I'll hear what John Williams does but then I look at John Williams and who did he listen to he listened to Mahler he listened to Richard Strauss mm. Prokofiev you can just trace back the lineage of his writing right 
because of course we all it's an it's it's an oral tradition it's like would you write it down but of course if if it's melodic if it's if it's not atonal music then you will uh mm. you'll steal from someone and we all do and and you know what hopefully you, you take that and then put your own stamp on it and yeah you know what do you think about bernard herman oh, i love bernard herman crowd genius yeah. yeah and he was one of the first minimalist guys you know like if you look at psycho i transcribed the score of psycho as a as a just for fun because yeah. it was kind of nerdy like that mm. uh and what he would do is he would take four bars and he would write these amazing minimalist kind of four bars and then he'd just repeat them. And then he'd write another four bars and he'd just write repeat on the score. Whereas composers before him would write 64 bars of lush melodic stuff that just keeps going. He was the start of the minimalist right. composers and he would take a, you know, like look at Psycho where the, where the wipers are going you know, like this and you yeah. listen to the music. It's just this repetitive, almost mundane, scary type thing. And it's using so i love i love bernard herman and yeah. taxi driver taxi driver is incredible amazing. soundtrack uh and he was you know he was one of those guys that was influenced by jazz but also could mm. could write like berlioz or he could write like uh shostakovich or stravinsky he had those chops he heard you know he had that formal training but then mm. he he worked as a as head of music at cbs and and he could just you know, those guys would would clock in at ten o'clock in the morning. They'd write a score and clock out at six, and you know, mm. stay up all night and write another one. And they were just it was a different generation and different breed of genius. These guys, you know, mm. so love love Bernard German. Yeah, and so when you were uh, you went to LA, you started getting work in Ireland, but you you were still living in LA. And then what what are you doing uh, in LA as opposed to Irish work? But you're doing what was I doing? Well, uh, when I went out there first, it was trying to get my foot in the door and it took me about a year and a half to, to get anything of consequence so I'm, when I went out there well, what does that mean you, are you how are you getting your foot in the door what well, do do? well now I have an agent out there but, it, yeah. but when I mean a foot in the door to get an agent it took a while so in other words I wanted to be a film composer so I wanted someone to hire me mm. so I've got a film and I want you to write the music for it and we're in America it's not Ireland you know that was my I wanted to try and prove myself out there and, mm-hmm. uh, so but to get that you don't just get called up to you know you have to go out and do the whole networking thing, which is awful. I hate, you know, right. that's, uh, so you join societies and, but I got very lucky. I met, um, Alan and Marilyn Bergman, who were lyricists for Barbara Streisand, for Tony Bennett, for Frank Sinatra. And mm. I met them through a guy that was living in Navin, Tom Petty's road manager. And I've, I've told the story a few times. So it might be old for your listeners, but it's pretty consequential. Tom Petty's road manager was living in Navin, seeing a girl from Meath, and he was producing an album for her and he wanted strings for her, but they had no budget. So mm. I got the call. He he heard I was the go-to guy for, you know, strings on a thing. So I, I he met me and, and he said, listen, I've not a lot of budget, but will you do it? I said, I'll do it for free for you. Just get me down the road. So yeah. I did this album for him, recorded with the Irish Film Orchestra in Dublin, and he was delighted. Uh, six months later, he calls me from New York and he says, I'm with Michelle Legrand's manager. Michelle Legrand is an Oscar Emmy, uh, he wrote The Windmills of Your Mind, he wrote The Umbrellas of Sherberg, uh, genius French composer that could play jazz, could conduct, could play classical music and fly planes, this legend, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and he said, listen, I'm with his manager, he loves your music, if you come out, if you come out and meet him, he'll, uh, he might help you. So I did that, right. I went and met him in New York, crazy little uh, New York man, and said, move to LA, I'll be your manager, if you stay in Ireland, I won't, because I don't know anything about Ireland. Right, right, so... Oh. Sold the, sold the car, went to LA with ten grand in my pocket, yeah. and so then they that he introduced me to some of the old school Hollywood people, and, and yeah. uh, 
I ended up writing a song for Barbara Streisand as a result of that connection. And, and um, oh, did you? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, when I went out first, I would, I'd write songs for the trunk. You know, you get up in the morning, no gigs, so I'd get the coffee pot on, I'd write a song. Yeah. And I'd, then I'd send it to Alan Bergman, and he, he'd say, hey, kid, uh, it's not so good if you any more. You know, and I, so yeah. I kept sending them to him and uh, didn't hear anything for it. So a year later, he calls me up, Brian, do you remember that little waltz you wrote? And I'm like, which one? I wrote about mm. 40 of them. And he says, well, there's this one. And said, Alan, to be honest, my hard drive died and all those things, I don't have them anymore. They're gone. Yeah. I didn't write them. I did them on my laptop. And he goes, well, I've filed away everything that you've sent me. And we have it here. And it goes, na, 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 na. little waltz. Na, 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 na. He said, would you mind if we write it for Barbara Streisand? And my jaw hit the, yeah. hit the floor. And I'm like, yeah. And then we went over to the house and then we fine tuned the song so we you know it wasn't exactly that but it was pretty close we sculpted it with him and uh she ended up recording it and a little bit later and i got to conduct her live in the in fox scoring stage 60 piece orchestra barbara streisand there me really? here conducting the song that i wrote with these old legends and that was that was from doing a favor for a guy in navin you know what i mean that's how connected yeah. that was um but it was just luck where luck meet an opportunity meets being prepared yeah kind of be ready yeah. yeah so i got i got to work with babs and wow. she was great spent the day with her and 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 then she'd call me up so we finished it and then there was a few things we needed to fix and she was about to do that movie with um she did a movie there about 10 12 years ago where she had a brown wig that who's the i'm trying to think of the it's really rogan seth rogan she was doing a movie with him like yeah. a road trip movie I don't know it. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. But she yeah. had to wear a brown wig, and yeah. and she was disgusted with this wig that she had to wear. And I'd, I'd be in the playground with, with Asa, our son, and yeah. went down the side, and then the phone would ring, and uh, Miss Streisand would like to speak to you, Brian. I'm like, okay. And you're worried about the child. You know what I mean? He's like, yeah. come down the slide. You don't want him to die. But this is Barbara Streisand. But this is Barbara Streisand. So he'll, he'll be grand. You know? <laughs> so, so I'm like, how can I help you? And she goes on about the wig for 10 minutes, this effing wig, and... and mm. uh, and then she goes, maybe we can try little different strings on this. Can you re-record that? Can you do that? And so I'm in the playground in Los Angeles talking to Barbara Streisand on the phone. That's incredible. Reminding my son. So that mm. was an odd, odd kind of mm. thing, but lovely. You know what I mean? Just bizarre, mad experience. And, and she was lovely. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you've been over to Bert Bacharach's house, you told me. I was in Bert's yeah. house. Uh, yeah. And again, that was kind of a fluke. That was a non-musical event. It was the first day I arrived in L.A. And there was a mm. guy called Frank Lyons. He's from he's from uh Blanchestown, kind of Clunny that area. But he moved out to the States when he was in his twenties. He's a horse trainer and mm. he became quite a, a famous commentator on horses for Fox mm. uh, sports. Um the good side of Fox, the the sporty bit, not, yeah. the, not the political oh. side. Um propaganda side. Exactly. <laughs> and and all these people um mm. All these horse people, or even people in the entertainment business, watched TVG and this guy, this funny Irish guy, Frank Lyons, who commented on the horse, but he was very loose and funny, and, mm. and he was the best man for a tip. He'd give you a tip on a horse, and they all loved him. Mm. But one, one of his good friends is Bert Bacharach. And when I moved out to Los Angeles, the only guy I knew was, uh, was the manager who said, go to L.A., mm. and Frank Lyons, who I hadn't met, but I had his phone number, you know, someone in... His aunt gave me, said, listen, I hear you're going to L.A. Here's my nephew. Ah, Call him. You know, and you're like, great. of course. Yeah. So, so I, I called him up, not knowing anyone. I met him in the Ivy in Santa Monica, and I had a backpack. Mm. And he goes, he was sussing me out. You know, who's this kid? So we, mm. we, hit, we hit it off. We had a good 
a good few pints and then uh, he mm. said what are you doing Friday night I said I don't know I have no plans for the next five years he said do you want to come to Bert Bacharach's house for dinner and I'm like fuck wow. you know? so yeah I do and yeah. just before I go out to Bert's house I get a call to do an arrangement for the band Chicago there's a lot of name dropping oh, in, one, Chicago. In, in one sentence yeah. but it just if you leave me now Chicago that's it they were mm. doing a concert the Hollywood Bowl or something like that and, and the the guy that was arranging was running out of time, kind of like Fiacre, you know, mm. and they needed, I met him through the Irish tenors. It's all these weave of Irishness. Anyway, I had this chart to do, but I wasn't going to turn down the chance of going to Bert's house. So I go mm. to his house and I'm sat there with Frank Lyons where you are across the table and I'm here across it and, and Bert's at the head of the table and, and he's just laughing at Frank Lyons jokes on I'm mm. by, I guess, because I'm Frank's friend, yeah. I'm funny then as well. So yeah. you have these, a trio at the top and he couldn't give a fuck about the people down the bottom of the you know what I mean yeah yeah yeah. so he had a great time and he kept pouring Bert kept filling my glass of wine and I knowing that I had to go home and finish this chart yeah. and I was, I was going no I, I, I better go home Bert I've, I have a bit of work to do I didn't tell him all night what I did yeah I didn't want to in his house I didn't want to go hey I'm a composer and, mm, you know, mm. so I just I'm Frank's friend for the night and he goes what do you do I said well I'm a composer and an arranger and I have to go home and do it he said why didn't you tell me and he brought me into his room he was after uh recording with the Isley Brothers at Capitol Records that day. Wow. And he, he himself, Frank Lyons, and me go in and we get a little glass of wine. He goes, sit down there. I'm gonna, and he plays me the, the unmixed cuts that he'd done that day. And he said, why didn't you tell me you were a, mm. a composer? So we talked about David Foster and we talked about Chicago and we talked about mm. all these. And so, yeah, I, I, that's how I knew Bert. It wasn't a musical thing, but then, yeah, you, you know, so interesting. But that's kind of Hollywood. That's how you sometimes you can fall into those places you know by just being there so. right yeah 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 he's an he's an amazing, amazing. composer isn't he amazing uh, songwriter and songwriter and he's like he's yeah. like 110 he's you know and the young young children and but amazing character and great stories yeah yeah he really is no he's like 90 what is he 92 Wait, or is, he? is he that old yeah he's wow yeah he looks sharp though doesn't he he's, he's a snappy he dresser he has a jacket i met him well i saw him one day on, on santa monica on the main mm. streets, and there was an older guy with white hair, kind of humped over, and he had a bright blue jacket, and it just said BB on the back of it. <laughs> and it turned around, it was Bert. Yeah. He has his own initials, so he's made it. Uh, that's incredible. No, he is. He's, mm. Mm. And the house was lovely as well. I'd say it was. I'd say it was yeah. lovely. And he has young kids, does he? he at it? the time, he had a young, uh, young being, he was about 12, 13 at the time. And wow. He was and getting he was emotional, actually, because he, he, he kept saying to Frank, I'm, I'm getting old, and I won't be there for him. And he, yeah. he loved you know, it was nice to see, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then how did uh, you, how did Angel of Broadway come about? Where did that come well, from? Mm. Um, so my wife and I, Casey, who you know. Yeah. Casey's a writer. And uh, I met her through, she was working at MTV. Met her a few weeks after I moved out to LA. Uh, but she studied broadcasting and, and, but always wanted to be a writer. And her dad was a cowboy poet and all this. So she has the bug of writing in her, you know, and mm. so she's been writing. Her dad is a, a cowboy a, a poet. Cowboy poet. <laughs> he's a cowboy and he's a poet. He's a cowboy and he's a poet. That's a whole tradition of, you know, cowboy, like when they go rodeoing. So she comes from a rodeo background. Really? Rodeo meaning bulls and broncos and quarter horses and getting thrown off horses and riding barrels and yeah, crazy Western, completely not an oven, like just the opposite. <laughs> and I, and I know nothing about horses. I don't know why she liked me actually. Like, not, not a thing about horses. Uh, yeah, so uh, so her dad is a cowboy poet. He's also a master's and he teaches English. And, and, yeah. But he has his other 
crazy side. So she she grew up in the house with him reading poetry and reading books and and um, and we what well, she would try and write film scripts yeah. in Los Angeles. You know, she's living with a composer. She sees me writing all day long, and she's like, "Okay, I don't want a real job. I want that job yeah. where you can do that and then get paid and mm. have a nice life." So she's been writing bits and pieces, and uh, we we ended up writing songs together for for a movie called Jenny's Wedding with Catherine Heigl and won a World, Sa- World Soundtrack Award. So she got a bit of notoriety for her songwriting. And then mm. we we had this idea for a film script. We thought it was going to be a comedy. It was, it was this guy called Frankie and his and his friend. And they, were, they had a pub. And the pub was going down. And they were going to set up a, a phony talent competition with no money prize. And it was going to be this kind of quirky comedy that we were trying to write. Mm. We, I'm not a writer. I'm a composer, and you know, so that it started out there, and we. Angel of Broadway started off as a comedy. Well, it, 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 the, the, the idea of it started out right, as right. something completely different, and we, okay. you know, she's the writer. I'm not. So I, mm. th- this was the original idea, and then we just kept beating that on the head. You know, we, we she went away and then wrote it, and we got it to a point where it was presentable as a film script. You know, comedy set in Ireland, and it's quirky, and it's you know. Mm. But we couldn't get money for it. We couldn't get, you know, couldn't mm. get it uh, off the ground. So we were driving on one of those road trips where you turn off the stereo and you just, how can, what do we do with it? Will we bin it? Will we? Yeah. And uh, we decided maybe we should go a darker angle, you know, mm. make Frankie a heroin addict in, in in America. And he's a he's a failed singer. Like he went out and was a star on Broadway, but his something happened that turned him into a junkie and homeless and and instantly we thought that was a better way to go you know he's away he's irish and, um yeah and then i just left it with her and, and it turned we we thought let's just write a musical i i can write good songs yeah. you can write a great story you can you know we can work on this and i think we can craft it into something yeah and because of the, the dramatic kind of side of it maybe it's easier to set it as a musical you know and uh, there's a lot of musicals i hate and there's a lot of stuff that i hate about musicals that are twee and not not in my you know, not what I like, but then there's some musicals that I love. They're amazing. Like West Side Story, yeah. like Guys and Dolls. I love those old My Fair Lady. Like where the songs are amazing, but the script Even Oliver is amazing. Oliver, yeah, mm. amazing. Like those those things. Uh, mm. So was, uh, we we said, well, why let's do it? We're we're in the house. We've two kids. We can send them off to school, and we'll just keep writing during the day. And mm. so we did that for about a year and a half, two years, and we did a little. Uh, we tried it out here in Navan. Actually, at a gig, a little jazz gig. In the Solstice Arts oh, Center, yeah, in uh, yeah, Navin, and I, I asked the audience, "Would you rather hear jazz for an hour, or would you? Can we try out these six or seven songs that mm. on a musical that we think we're going to do?" And they were like, "Yeah, just give us the songs." So, All right. So I had Willie Byrne, my cousin, and Kevin Fagan come in, and just a couple of Megan, a couple of local people came in, and we tried it out. And I'd tell them the story as we were going, little bits of the story, wow. and they loved it. We we got to the the end of the first half and they were coming up going what what happened to Emily what what's it and we could, didn't tell them because we were, we knew but we didn't want to give it away yeah so we knew by their reaction to the songs that maybe we have something maybe we have something here so right. so we went away and finished it finished it to its current point it's yeah. maybe not completely finished yet but right and then as a deadline we I mean I'm I'm arts in residence with the RT concert orchestra so I decided I'd pull in that little you know, use position and, and yeah. use that as a deadline to put it on. And we assembled a cast and we did it as a concert version. Mm. No helicopters, no bells and whistles, just here's the show. Here's the songs. 
Here's yeah. the dialogue set to music, you know, recitative, which normally I hate as well when dialogue is set to music. Yeah. It's tough, you know. But then we thought we'd... Let's write it like that. Uh, yeah. Um, I haven't been in it, though. Those dialogue pieces are the ones that are really stick in my head. <laughs> when, yeah. When it's you, quite amazing. Like, I mean, it, sometimes mm. it takes a while. Like, you watch Les Mis or the, the film version, and it might take you five minutes to to get into the fact that these people are singing. You know what I mean? But then once you buy into that mm. notion that it's a musical, and if then you're off to the races then, you know. So, But that, it was a huge undertaking. I mean, it's writing a two-hour yeah. musical... Uh, and trying uh, the story is the hardest part actually because we can write songs all day I can I'm quite happy to write you know try and write songs but really the, the lyrics and the story are the hardest thing to nail yeah yeah, yeah, you know, yeah because that's that's definitive whereas music is kind of you know you can slip in and out and people can say they like that or they don't but but to get pl- plot points as well plot points um, and, and that's really hard so Casey yeah. had like 40 drafts or something you know what I mean and, and yeah. but the rewriting that's where the that's where it gets done. So, yeah. So we, yeah. we, you know, we put that on in the concert hall and uh, we had two sold out nights and the, the audience loved it. They did love it, yeah. So now we're, mm. now we're going to take a road trip and we're going to regroup and we're going to try and put it on as a full production. We have people interested and we have various, you know, mm. we're just trying to pick the best avenue to do it. You know, do we try and do it off, 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 off Broadway in mm. Oklahoma and in Long Beach and then, you know, mm. and try and hone it, hone the show as a full production and maybe, do it in Dublin for a couple of weeks and you know that kind of thing and would that be with a full orchestra as well mm, probably not no full orchestra is very expensive yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so that what, what we did with the concert version is it was more about the sound and, and the songs and, and the a, a huge overstage reading of a show you know what I mean with the 60 piece orchestra but mm. financially you, you couldn't, couldn't survive that. that on the road so it would probably be like a 15 piece band or mm. if you're lucky a 20 piece band I'll just rescore it I'll just change it but I think if the songs are good enough and if the orchestration is clever enough you can still get that mm-hmm. you can still get it by the audience you know I think that it's about the songs and the plot not necessarily the size of your orchestra but yeah you know it's not yeah. about the size <laughs> of your orchestra take a sip yeah. after that but uh, <laughs> and uh, so Casey uh, wrote the lyrics Casey wrote all the lyrics all the lyrics yeah and how uh, the music comes first, does it? Depends. All right, yeah. Somet- sometimes the music comes first, and then sometimes uh, we'll need a plot point. So yeah. come up with a, a title or something. and that you know, yeah. So Emily has to do this here, or Frankie, the young singer, has to get from A to B. So we have to write a song. You know, like writing a song and writing 10 pages of script are two completely different things. Mm. A song is like a, a miniature play. So... In, you know, you can skip a lot through a lot of time, get a lot of information out in a song, or else you can completely f it up by being too flowery and not getting the plot in. So yeah. it's this balance between what's the point of this song? Is there any point in actually singing this? Is it going to help the audience understand the plot? Mm. And is it entertaining? So you're trying to do two things: you're trying to give information, and you're also trying to have people go la la la. Isn't that a lovely little song? So, yeah, so yeah. So if you can find that right balance. Then you're you're off to the races. Yeah, yeah, so you want them to be songs that could stand alone as yeah, well. Absolutely, absolutely. And and mm. I, I don't agree with the concept that a musical is one hit and then nineteen bits of fluff. I think every song should stand up in the corner, like mm. you hear it in the, here in the corner of the pub, but it, it, with a guitar, and it should be as valid. Yeah, as if if it's the mega song and a musical. So so that's the way I try to write it, and then we minus from there. You know. Yeah. That's brilliant. And it's interesting, too, that people are um, 
not really. They, you don't you don't get lyricists anymore. Just standalone lyricists. Not that much anyway. I don't know. Not Why? not so much a dine art. I mean, in, in yeah. musical theatre, you do. You, you know, you've got Duncan Cheek and Stephen Sater. You know, Stephen yeah. Sater, the, the, um, who's a playwright and, and uh, will write lyrics, or or Bert Bacharach will ask him to write lyrics. Yeah. I I just think I don't know. I think the whole songwriting thing gets watered down a little bit after the because a lot of lyrics are terrible. 70s. Yeah, because <laughs> it was a craft. You know, in, yeah. like in, in the in the olden days, yeah, where you had. Cole Porter, or you had uh, George Gershon and his lovely wife Ira. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, Ira is a, is a boy, obviously. Yeah. But in Glasgow, we used to play jazz gigs, and the trumpet player would introduce every Gershwin song as "This is written by George and his lovely wife Ira." <laughs> <laughs> but Ira Gershwin was a lyricist, yeah. Or Stephen Sondheim, at first was a lyricist you know, for West Side Story, yeah. or for, but then went on to write both. But it, that's an art form in itself. Yeah. Words, wordsmith. You know, that's uh, so. Not as much now. You f- you find one guy will do both things, or sometimes now it's a singer songwriter, and they'll just sing, and they'll it, you know. Yeah, and I think it really ruins a lot of songs. Yeah. The bad lyrics, or yeah. just me, or just cliched. A lot of cliched lyrics. Yeah, because because so, with m- now with music and song, and and easy, it's so easy to record that you can you can get away with doing three and a half minutes of something with a nice tune and a nice hook, but mm. no clue what the words are about or what the meaning, you know. Mm-hmm. That, to me, the songwriting is a, it has to be the perfect match of story and lyric, and uh, story and, and song, and then the singer then to... You know, look at Sinatra. He'd always, he would always say who the lyricist was and who the composer was and who the arranger was. And mm. Those people, the Bergmans that I mentioned earlier, Alan and Marilyn, they, they were lyricists husband and wife team and all they did was wrote lyrics for John Williams for mm. uh, you know all these people probably Bernard Herman if you look, uh, like any of the composers in the 60s for the when songwriting for movies was huge they were the go-to people you know we'll write the music and they'll write the words and right yeah you know it came from that old American songbook tradition from the 20s 30s 40s where lyrics and story was, was king you know yeah um well, look, and, uh, it, uh, it was great working with you, and uh, I hope I didn't screw up your musical. <laughs> you were fantastic. We've listened back to it. You, you, I mean, you, well, you did amazing. For someone that's never sang in a musical before, you've, uh, you know, it's, it's a tough thing to do and get in, to sing all those intricate time signatures. And, and well, it, yeah, well, what I found it was the, because it's, uh, it's not like a song, so you, you, know, so you, you have to come in at the right time. Anyway. It sounds easier mm-hmm. from the punter's point of view because they're not having to count bars rest and come in in the right spot but mm. you nailed it it was brilliant ah thanks very much yeah. know, funny and, and there's a few bits character. I didn't I didn't go for because I was just said nah, I, I don't want to screw this up but, some, but sometimes mm. you know we, we talk sometimes a line is funnier when it's spoken and that's in the mm. writing you know if, if it doesn't read as a piece of music mm. say the line and if it's stronger as a, as a spoken line it's just stronger so that's in the writing mm. you know well, it was a br- it was a it was such a big challenge for me, and it was just great to have done something new, something I'd never done before. So thanks, not at all. I mean, I'm a fan. Me. I'm yeah. looking at the comedy <laughs> stuff on there, so it's, yeah. You know. And I'm writing my own musical now about uh, Alive, the uh, musical Alive about the people who crashed in the Andes. <laughs> <laughs> really? L- let me know when that's on. I, I I might be boiling my hair. That no, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually written a couple of songs, but I know. Well, yeah, with my son. Yeah. So your son is a 
He's a musician, yeah. yeah. He's studying sound production and he, he plays a few instruments. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'll let you know. We could be in competition, you know. Well, <laughs> no, you've definitely got music in you. I mean, I've, I've seen the, the, the things you do with guitar where you, you mimic the voices and you're, you're very musical. Uh, yeah, it's, part, it's definitely uh, yeah. at least half my stand-up, yeah. yeah. Anyway, thanks, and this, we'll, we'll get back to drinking. It's been awful having to talk and not drink our, least, our drinks. Isn't isn't it? Half pints are spoiled. <laughs> yeah, but look, are. luckily, I know the landlord, so we'll be okay. Yeah, okay. Thanks, bro. All right, John. That was Brian there. Oh, and I've got some news actually about another podcast I'm starting, uh, uh, and uh, it'll be out hopefully in the next week or so. It's an improvised comedy podcast. We just improvise the news, a news story for for roughly the guts of forty five to fifty minutes, uh, and I'm doing that with my friends from the Dublin Comedy Improv. We've already recorded one. I thought it was great. We, ju- we just improvise, take one story, improvise for a whole 45, 50 minutes. And then and then I just edit little bits of it out. Not much. I think I took about five minutes off it and put a few sound effects on it here and there. But the whole thing is improvised. And uh, it'll be uh, out. Yeah, I'm going to do one every fortnight. Put them out every uh, fortnight um, from next week. Um, so look out for that. I haven't got a name for it yet. It could be just the news but uh it's it's like a news story it's like an improvised news and uh, we really enjoyed doing it and uh, i think it's good yeah i'm proud of it so we'll record another one next week and uh, it'll be uh, every so look out for that but i'm sure i'll let you know and uh, i'm sure i will and uh, in the coming weeks on this podcast okay well toodle pip l jap seeing something it's smiling at me but not a friendly smile the worst smile i've ever seen in my life do you see it right now smile rated r only in theaters september 30th